payment. They are kids, you are dismissed, and they are people we say to them, you are sinning. All right. Well, good morning. You probably you don't really need a sermon like after a morning like w- what we've just had, right? It's, I mean, it's it's yeah, it was a blessing a blessing to us. Well, good morning, church. My name is Tanner. I'm a, a pastor candidate here at Antioch, and as a church, you know, we've got the decorations. We're going through Advent, which is uh, just a, a word that means arrival. Uh, it's a it's a season that the church sets aside annually to reflect on together the first arrival, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, and to set our hopes on, look forward to his return, his second coming. And so we'll, we're going through a series entitled Behold Our God. Can we put the artwork on there? So Annalee Neely made this artwork for us. She's, she's home with her family over the winter break. Uh, she's a Boyce College student, but I just want to recognize her for her, her work in putting this together. Uh, the artwork, the, the four images that you see are, are helpful for us as we look through the text that we'll be going through in this series. So we'll have two sermons are we, that we'll look through or look at the first arrival of Jesus and, and coming in the birth narrative. And so Jason Krigler looked at John 1 and the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Uh, and so that's, that's the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation's uh, of the world, and then we have the third image is the birth narrative, which uh, Pastor Robbie will be preaching next week. So two sermons that help us look back, reflect on Christ's first coming, two sermons that help us look forward to, set our hopes on Christ's return. That'll be today we'll be looking at the transfiguration event in Matthew 17, and uh, in a couple weeks we'll close the year out with Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. And so the last few months, we've already talked about it, I don't want to keep talking about it, but they've been difficult, been hard, we've gone through a lot of things, uh, lots of stuff weighing on us. And the easy thing for us to do at this time would be to scramble, to get distracted, to fold, to, to start falling into the regular consumeristic behaviors and practices of, of the season But the best thing that we can do, the thing we need to do, is to turn our attention to the one worthy to behold, to reflect on Christ who has come to us. There's nothing better for us to do right now than to just plant our feet in the dirt, so to speak, and behold our God. And that's what I want to do this morning So if you have your Bible, let's open them together. Matthew 17, verses uh, 1 through 8. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, that's on page 822. The title of our sermon this morning is, When God Unwraps His Glory. And our main point is this. We are longing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we work through this text, we'll look at this, the, the outline that will follow is this. One, who is this Lord Jesus that we're longing for? He is the eternal one, verses 1 through 3. He is the beloved Son of the Father, verses 4 through 5. And he is the, glory, or the gracious friend who comes to us, verses 6 through 8. The eternal glorious one, beloved Son of the Father, the gracious friend who comes to us. 
So with that said, if you're able, please stand in honor for the reading of God's word. If you're, if you're unable, uh, we ask that you would just take a posture of reverence in your heart as we read this together. Church, hear the word of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. Was anyone willing to admit that they're a box shaker in the room? Right? Christmas presents, they get around the tree, you find yourself, you walk over to it, and you you start shaking the box. I wonder what's inside. It feels heavy. Some empty space. Uh, Hope it's not a book, right? He doesn't want kids, don't want books. You want books. Some of you want books. Here's the thing about box shaking. This is like, you guys are going to pick on me for this because I like to take things we always do and like kind of turn them around if you haven't figured that out. Here's the thing with box shaking. The more that we do it, the more we try to wrap our mind around what's inside the box, the less we are able to truly experience the gift when we finally open it. Why do I say that? Because the more we shake and think, the more we begin to form our own expectations about what's on the other side of this paper. And we, when we do this, we lessen our ability to actually have a genuine encounter with the goodness of the gift. You know this if, you've ever, if you're a box shaker and you've ever been let down on Christmas morning. Right? Man, this is kind of heavy. I bet... I bet it's that new 18-volt lithium-ion oscillating multi-tool from Milwaukee I've been talking about. Everybody knows I want it. I'm just saying. This is like an example. It doesn't really happen, right? Uh, But you open it, and it's like something like coasters or something. you're like, man, I'm thankful for the coasters. But that's something I really wasn't expecting. My mind was was looking at something else. I was shaking the box and thinking it was something else, but I actually didn't encounter the gift. I encountered something less than the gift. And that's a silly example, but let's just get a little more personal. There have probably been times in your life, or maybe now, when you felt let down by God, when things didn't line up the way you thought they were going to line up. When things didn't turn out the way you anticipated them. When you felt a little unmoved, like you received the short end of the deal. 
And I would just suggest that when this happens, the problem's not with God. The problem's with you. Problem's with me. We've been shaking the box. And our experience of God's work in our lives is not being shaped or has not been shaped by who he is and how he's revealed himself to be in his word. But rather, it's been shaped by an expectation of him as we want him to be. And the more we shake the box, the more we miss out or cut ourselves off from our ability to have a genuine encounter with the living God. Our text this morning comes right off the heels of an event like this. So if you look back just a little bit uh, past, uh, previous to chapter 17, verse Matthew 16, 21 through 28, we'll put it on the screen. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and then be raised. And Peter took him aside and began rebuking him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this should never happen. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Skip down to 28. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. So what's going on, right? Jesus is talking about his purpose for coming in the flesh. We talked about it last week, that he's coming to, to die in our place, to go to Jerusalem, to suffer, to be killed, to, and on the third day to rise from the dead. But Peter misses the message through the sound of his own speculation. Not you. Like, no, this isn't going to happen. Far be it from you. Peter's been shaking the box. I wonder what the Messiah is going to be like. Sounds like a mighty king, fierce warrior, the restorer of all things. Hey, and Jesus is all of those. But he is also God's suffering servant sent to die at the hands of and on behalf of sinners. He is both the exact person we've been longing for and the one we never would have saw coming. How is this possible? Because Jesus is not a thing to be conceptualized. He's not a holiday to be planned on and organized. He's not a feeling that's conjured up and explored. He is the eternal, glorious one. He is God, and in his great kindness, he has invited us to behold his glory. So let's look at point one. He is the eternal, glorious one. Verse one, Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So six days after what? After what we just read. Six days after that event. And the gospel authors, all three of the, of the authors of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include the transfiguration after a very specific set of events. All right, we'll put that list on the screen. Yeah, so Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Jesus foretells his death. Peter rebukes Jesus. Matthew and Mark include it. Luke doesn't. Jesus gives his take up your cross, and then he promises that some will see the glory of the Son of Man. So this is significant. We point this out, not just like this is good context, but we point this out to say the transfiguration and the cross go together. 
the, the events are supposed to be seen together. Right? This is a, is a hard message for the disciples to hear. Hey, the guy you left everything to follow is the Messiah. He's going to die. And you're going to die too. Right? They don't want to hear it. They don't have categories to hear, the, hear it. And then immediately following this message is the transfiguration glory. If you heard this for the first time, you might feel a little let down too, right? Like, gosh, man, like, I thought we were going to, thought like good things were going to happen. Something's not lining up. And so in the transfiguration, we have a moment where God kind of lets us peek behind the curtain and see the reality that helps us fit the two things together. What is that reality? That Jesus is both the humble baby lying in a manger at Bethlehem and the eternal king of glory. He's both. He's both the suffering servant of God and the victorious warrior over sin and death. He's both. The, lowly, the lowliness and the humility of take up your cross and follow me is wrapped up together with the high glory experienced by the disciples at the transfiguration. So they're on the mountain, verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So maybe here this morning, for being honest, you're like, I don't know what transfiguration means. All right, like that's kind of a word. We read our Bible, we, we skip over it. We're like, hmm, yeah, he was transfigured. Yes, indeed. Yeah, but hey, let's. It's a good good place to be, right? We we kind of we need to define these terms, right? In short, transfiguration simply means transform or to change form. Helpful, right? Uh, to transform or to change form. It's a change. That it begins from the inside and changes the whole person. All right, here to give it a little bit more context. So if you think back a few months ago, we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We talked about Moses. He was on the mountain. He beheld God's glory. He came down. His face was radiant and he had to wear a veil. Everybody there? Remember that? Okay. Moses' glory was reflected. It bounced off of him. It came from something outside of him, happened upon him, and he reflected glory. Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus' glory is different. The glory of Jesus is unborrowed. It comes from within his own person. He himself is the glorious one. Got it? Or as Paul says in Colossians 2.9, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. But not only is he the glorious one, in who the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, he's the eternal glorious one. Look at verse 3. Behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Like this could be a whole sermon. Verse 3. But interest of time, we'll just move on. Not past it, but we'll talk briefly about it. Okay, so a few comments. First, Matthew wants us to, to see the sequence of events and think, that's what happened to Moses. Okay, so if you're, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you're a good reader of Exodus, then you would, you would kind of come to this passage and think, Moses. Here's, here's where you would see those connections. Put a bullet list, yeah. So the event comes after six days. It occurs to a group of three 
It happens on a high mountain. There's a cloud that descends and overshadows. There's a voice that speaks out from the cloud. There's the radiance of the central figure. And there's fear on those who saw the radiance. You're like, it's Moses. We just read the transfiguration. We're thinking Exodus. It's very similar. Too similar. We, we have to pay attention to it. All right. Hold that and we'll come back. Second, Moses and Elijah are seen and heard talking with Jesus. They're alive. Moses died nearly 1,500 years before this event. Elijah is taken up in the whirlwind nearly 1,000 years before this event. And here they are talking with Jesus, having a conversation. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. He's the eternal one. And Luke tells us in his gospel that they were discussing his departure, his death, which is another cue that both the cross and this moment are bound together. That humiliation and transfiguration are bound up in the person of Jesus. Third, connections between Moses and Elijah. So think back to the previous point. This happened to Moses. This is similar to that. Moses only saw in part what he now sees in full in the transfigured face of Jesus. The glory that he experienced in Exodus on Mount Sinai was only temporary. We talked about that a few months ago. The glory that he experiences now in the presence of Jesus is eternal. Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, the law, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, grace upon grace and the shedding of his blood. Moses led God's people out of physical bondage and oppression. Jesus delivers God's people from bondage of Satan, sin, and death. In a similar way, Elijah only saw or experienced in part what he now sees in full. Think back to Brad's sermon several weeks ago. When the Lord passed by the cave and spoke to him in a still small voice, still Mount Sinai, he told Elijah, essentially, hey, there's another prophet who's coming after you who's going to actually fulfill your ministry. It's not going to be you. Someone else is coming. And in the transfigured face of Jesus, Elijah's both beholding his God and conversing with the fulfillment of his prophetic ministry. Elijah tore down altars, rebuked kings, called God's people back to true worship. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus destroys death and the power of sin and proves to be the victorious king of glory above rulers and powers and authorities. He is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah bow down to him. He is the one we're longing for, the eternal and glorious one. Amen. Amen. Goodness. So what we say about all that, right? Like significant, lofty, high mountain stuff. I was, I've been in a philosophy seminar all week, if you can't tell, right? Like I'm just like trying to get my brain back down to earth, right? Not very Christmassy, not very Adventy. Hang with me. We'll get there. Let's, let's look at point two together. Maybe we'll get some help on, on how we respond to this moment, okay? So point two, he is the beloved son of the father. 
So what do you say in response to all of this? You might say something like Peter says. Yikes. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So we already kind of know the context that Peter's been dealing with. He's been shaking the box. He, he thinks he's got God figured out. He doesn't have room for all of that cross talk. We just need to get straight to the glory. And he sees the glory, and his response comes out of that. Let's get all, past all this cross stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. But this event is meant to help Peter and us see that we don't get one without the other. Or as Martin Luther puts it, it does a person no good to recognize God and his glory unless he first recognizes him in the shame and humility of the cross. You have to have both. And so what does Peter get wrong? Well, first, there's something in his comment that seems as if he's wanting to capture the moment. Or to keep with our illustration, he wants to wrap it back up. Put it, put it back in the box. The loftiness and glory of the moment just sort of go over his head. He says, Lord, it's, it's good that we're here. Let's just stay here. Let's never leave. Let's usher in the new kingdom from this mountain. But we can't stay here, Peter. Because we don't get this without the cross. The second thing is that he seems to make, at least in his comment, don't want to read too much into it, he seems to make Jesus equal with Moses and Elijah. I'm going to make three tents for you guys. The three of you will stay here. But Jesus is not equal with Moses and Elijah. Jesus is their Lord. And we like to pick on Peter because he's easy to pick on, right? He's the, he's the first one to say something. Luke tells us, because he didn't know what else to say. <laughs> like, he's just, blah, right? Uh, but, you know, he kind of breaks up this moment before him. But personally, right, like, I'm thankful for Peter saying something. Because even if he interprets the moment wrong, which he does, he gets, a, he gets the moment wrong, but he exposes my heart in his comment. He helps me understand myself more. Hopefully he helps you understand yourself more. Here's what I mean. Like Peter, we need to encounter the glory of God in the transfiguration for two reasons, mainly. One, we often want glory without the cross. Here's what Paul says, Philippians 2. The eternal glorious one, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. How did he empty himself? By taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humiliation, suffering. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, glory, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. The glory of the Christmas season is manufactured, synthetic, it's glittery. And regardless of how you feel or the difficult things that are going on in your life, you can always count on the annual Christmas season. The annual, oh by gosh, by golly. That just sort of comes up, no matter how you feel. The world wants glory without the cross. The world wants to manufacture glory. But the gospel points us to something much more real. That the eternal king of glory clothed himself in humility and suffered on our behalf in order that we who believe in him 
might be united to him in faith, share in his sufferings, and in so doing, share in his glory. If Jesus is our Lord, he is both Lord of our suffering and Lord of our glory. We can't have one without the other. Second reason we need the transfiguration is this, that we often forget about glory in the midst of the cross. We often forget about glory in the midst of the cross. So in 2 Peter, Peter writes to a church facing the threat of false teachers. And he uses this moment, the transfiguration moment, as sort of the anchor point for the truthfulness of his message. At the transfiguration, Peter beholds the uncreated light of the world. Talked about this last week. The light that shines in the darkness when God creates the world. The light that enlightens all of creation, which darkness cannot overcome. The glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Peter beholds on the mountain. And this moment allowed Peter to get just a momentary glimpse of the light that shines in the darkness and overcomes it. Why is that important for Peter at that point? Because in a very short period of time, he's going to see the disfiguration of Jesus. And he's, he's going to have to know that that same Jesus is still full of glory. Still the beloved son of the father. Still the light that shines in the darkness, which the darkness cannot overcome. And what we need now, as people who, have, who live on the other side of the cross and await his return... We need the transfiguration. We need to know in the midst of suffering that there is an eternal glorious one sitting at the right hand of the Father who is coming for us. And if he suffered and was still in glory, when we suffer, we know that if we trust in him, we will be like him and be with him one day in glory. We need to know that. The world is not as it should be. There's violence and hatred. There's death. We get sick. Our loved ones get sick. We struggle to understand ourselves. We struggle to understand others. We wrestle with depression and self-doubt, spiritual doubt. Our children suffer. But listen, Jesus Christ was, is, and always has been the eternal, glorious one, beloved Son of the Father. He himself is the light that shines in the darkness and overcomes it. He's the one we're longing for. Will you turn away from everything else and turn to him? Let's keep going. Verse 5. Peter's still talking. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So Moses and Jesus' connections continue, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 18.15. Israelites were given this promise from Moses that the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So most scholars are in agreement that when the Father speaks this over the Son, he's, he's, sort of, he's affirming that Jesus is the prophet who comes after Moses. That this is, this is sort of that moment. And so God says, listen to the Son. Well, what are they supposed to listen to him about? Generally, everything he says and is going to tell them to do. More specifically, everything he's been saying about his death, the cross, and their call to take up their cross and follow him. He is Lord over our lives, and he is Lord over his church. I know in my personal life, finances get tight, I get a little schemy. Start reaching for things, quick fixes, easy solutions. What can I sell, right? Um, what, can I, what can I shore up for myself? How can I manufacture safety 
How can I manufacture glory? How can I trust in the things that I can do? In this moment, I'm trying to skip over the cross and get to the glory. The easy fixes. And what I need to be reminded in those moments is that I need to be reminded to listen to the sun and let all other voices fade to the back. As a church that's going through a challenging season, it's easy to scramble. It's easy to try to grasp at simple solutions, to patch ourselves up. But the best thing for us in this season is to do exactly what this passage teaches. That we can go through particularly painful cross-bearing seasons Precisely because the one who dwells in inapproachable light has come to us in the beloved Son of the Father. He himself is the eternal glorious one who shines in darkness. It is him we're beholding, and it is him we are listening to, and it is him alone that we are longing for. He's not only these things, he's also our friend who comes to us. Look at the third point, verses 6 through 8. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you and I were once shameful, terrified, trembling sinners. Opposing God. Glory seekers. But Jesus, the eternal, glorious one and beloved son of the father, came to us and touched us. What I mean by that? He was sent in the likeness of men. He took on flesh. As the author of Hebrews writes, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, taking on flesh in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The eternal, glorious word of God becomes flesh and dwells among men. Why? So that he can bear the cross as a merciful and faithful high priest, so that he can make atonement for the sins of the people, so that fearful, trembling sinners can be friends of God. In other words, he took on flesh so that he could bend down to a crew of trembling sinners and say, fear not. In Christ, darkness is overcome. We are reconciled to God. Fear is cast out and we become his friends. That's the gospel. If you're a Christian, responding to the gospel is essentially yielding to, admitting to, seeing no one other but Jesus alone. Verse 8, they, looked, they lifted up their eyes and no one else was there. Because he's the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets, he himself is the one we truly need. Nothing else will satisfy. If you're, not a, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you've been shaking the box and trying to figure out what God is like, what he must be like. Trying to find quick solutions to your problems. I just want you to know that you don't, you don't get the answer without the cross. You don't get glory without the cross. They're bound together in the person of Jesus. 
And there's nothing that you can do to fix whatever's at war in your life. The angst you feel and the longings you have, you can't do anything about them. Those things are only meant to help point you to the greater need you have. That need that you're an enemy of God, opposing him. You stand condemned in a need of grace. And he has made that grace in abundance through Jesus Christ. In him, all of our longings are met. He is both everything we've ever wanted and nothing we ever would have saw coming. So stop shaking the box and come to Jesus, who has promised not that we would never suffer, but that when we do suffer, we would overcome them as he has overcome them. Friends, Christmas is an overwhelming time for all of us. If you had a week like I had, you might feel split and divided into a million different directions. And there's so much that you could put your mind to and pay attention to. So much anxiety and stress and worry. I feel it. You feel it. There's so much we could be doing. But there's one thing we must do. Behold our God the eternal glorious one, the beloved son of the father, the gracious friend who comes to us and the one who's coming again. On the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his his friends. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, gave it to his friends. He said, take, drink. This is my blood, the new covenant, spilled out for you. He told them that whenever they ate this bread and drank from this cup, they're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. They're proclaiming his arrival. Today at Antioch, we want to proclaim this, that Jesus Christ is the one we are longing for. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Our tradition here at Antioch is to come forward, to break off a piece of bread, to dip it in the juice. There will be gluten-free available over here. If you're a follower of Jesus, our invitation is to examine yourself and then come forward in the moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this, this meal is not for you. And rather, we would encourage you to take up, take Jesus Christ, the only one who can satisfy you. Take Jesus, the the only one who can make you an enemy of God into a friend of God. There'll be pastors in the back to, to pray with anyone who has need. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we confess to you our just simplicity to just take up this monumental task to look at the transfiguration and to cling to its, its goodness and faith that we might endure sufferings in this life as we await your return. What a lofty text. What a gracious truth. Father, would you help us believe it? Would you confirm it in our hearts? 
Would you, would you unite us to faith in Jesus that we might share in his sufferings and share in his glory? Would you do this as we break bread together? As we remember and proclaim his coming. Father, would you do this in our church for Christ's sake? Amen.